0: One hundred and forty-one Better Yet podcast. I'm Tim Crisp, your host. Better Yet, the long-form interview podcast featuring musicians talking about influence, talking about writing, and talking about being around. Karen Dalton, Bubbas. Oh, fall is here. Good a time as any. To dive right in. You want to talk about singers? Kelly Hogan is on the show today. The legend. Are you kidding me? What a time we had. Exciting week over here and Better Yet. an Exciting week to come, to be more precise. What do you mean, Tim? Well, today is Monday, and in between now and when this episode drops, I will have boarded a couple planes and landed in Chiang Mai. Jay and I are going to Thailand. We'll be in Chiang Mai for four days, and then we are going to stay at the Elephant Nature Park, a sanctuary for rescued elephants outside the city. Uh, we'll be there for six days doing some volunteer work, scooping up some elephant poo, but also feeding them, doing some work around the grounds. I volunteered there when I was in college. It's this magical place. I'm so excited to go back Excited to go back with Jay to check out and spend some time somewhere far away and get some elephant love. Seriously, we're just going to be hanging out with 30 elephants for a week. It's going to be incredible. What does that mean for the show? Well, we've got a couple archived episodes on deck for you, but I'll be dropping some new content over on Patreon. Patreon is a way for you to help support this show keep the studio lights on by pledging monthly amount in exchange for bonus audio content a new episode of radio free better yet why not this week we played some new music some songs that work in the context of our interview and some things that have just been popping up in my world that i wanted to share i'll be dropping some playlists and thailand diary entries while i'm gone we've also got postcards and mixtapes over there Pledge a monthly amount, even just a couple bucks a month, goes a long way to keep this show going. Head on over to patreon.com slash betteryetpodcast. We're sponsored this week by Brindle Book Club. It can be hard to figure out what to read. The back of a book doesn't really tell you anything. Reviews, tend towards summary, and commercial bestsellers, what are those doing for you? Wouldn't it be great if there was a small group of book nerds dedicated to sending you quality reads? Brindle Book Club is a new literary subscription service that puts together the best paperback fiction from past and present and sends it to your door once a month. Choose from any of Brindle's five subscription lines like Decorated, which features award-winning novels worth the hype, or Criminal, featuring mysteries and thrillers from around the world drawn from the neo-noir and the avant-garde. Better yet, listeners can save five bucks off their first month. By using the code BETTERYET at checkout, shipping is free. Books go out the first of every month. Go to brindlebookclub.com. That's B-R-I-N-D-L-E, bookclub.com. Use offer code BETTERYET and start reading the good shit today. If you would like to advertise on BetterYet, Yet, reach out to me at betteryetpodcasts at gmail.com. This concludes our run with Brindle Book Club. Very much enjoyed working with Sam and Mara over there. I think they're doing great work. Their series are all very nicely curated for whatever your taste may be. Books can be an awful lot like music. Sometimes it's nice to have someone you can call on to give you some needed guidance. All right, my guest this week is Kelly Hogan. I'll interject here for a brief moment. It's wild to me that this podcast that I started as a way interview my friends has evolved into something where I'm interviewing people at the top of the game in punk and DIY and now this influx of people who have led these incredible careers that exist in a world slightly outside of that original sphere but as we've gotten into 140 episodes of this program I found myself in the position to reach outside and incorporate people who mean so much in the other musical worlds that i'm connected to with hogan the connection is bloodshot records it's one of the premier labels of the alt-country world the current home of laura jane grace and the devouring mothers and the epicenter of chicago's alt-country scene since the mid-90s where hogan sang backing vocals on pretty much every release that label would put out for a good seven eight year stretch the likes of the Meekons, alejandro Escovedo. And Nico Case, with whom Hogan has held a long standing friendship and collaborative relationship. Other bona fides include work with Drive By Truckers, Andrew Bird, Mavis Staples, along with a winding career that begins in Atlanta, Georgia, fronting the country jazz, indie punk infused band, the Jody Grind, whose life was tragically cut short. Hogan would release three solo records between '96. And 2001 but she was mostly doing backing vocals in the aughts before making a record called I Like to Keep Myself in Pain in 2012. This is a record that featured songs written for Hogan by the likes of Robin Hitchcock, Stephen Merritt, Andrew Byrd, and the late Vic Chestnut and a backing band consisting of James Gadson and Booker T. Jones among others. Now if those names don't pop that's okay we're all in this together gatson's known very well for his time with bill withers also marvin gay aretha franklin terry reed my favorite temptations record 1990 and i didn't know this in either until i looked it up but d'angelo's black messiah booker t is the house organist for the memphis soul label stacks and you certainly know the song green onions and the entirety of otis redding's career now i'm sorry if i'm overexplaining. explaining if i'm mansplaining but I think one of the most beautiful things about music is tracing those lines of connections and Hogan has led a career that's so full of connections and incredible songs not to mention the fact that she is just full of stories and that southern charm I was excited to have her come over and excited even more when she asked if she could bring her dogs Ernie and Eddie join Chloe and I for a great conversation that i'm so excited for so let's get to it we'll start the song this is ways of this world followed by my interview with kelly hogan full house in here we've got we've got ernie ernie tennessee ernie and then we've got uh we've got steve buscemi down
1: there yeah well that's (laughs) his middle name yeah eddie spaghetti eduardo stefano buscemi spaghetti he's
0: down there too and chloe's just sitting here on the outside just like kind of Peeping and, and noticing That they're in the Under the desk spot Which is normally hers Oh yeah She's being very generous then She's a little offender right now She's, <laughs> she, she, don't, she,
1: don't, <laughs> she did just side eye them
0: She gave them the side eye Every eye with her Is kind of a side eye But you know. it'll be okay But it was it was funny Because I texted, I texted my dad And I said When you asked to uh, If it would be alright If you brought your dogs over I mm-hmm. texted my dad And I said Kelly Hogan just asked if she could bring her dogs to the podcast, if that is not the most Kelly Hogan thing in <laughs> the entire world,
1: people would people who know me would agree with that. Yeah, it's true. I yeah, they're like earrings or a bro. They're they're my access. They're not my accessory. I just love dogs, man. They're the. Best. I got rabies for dogs. <laughs> I do. I got a fever for the flavor. Well, I saw the pictures of all the people on your couch with the dog. She has become and, an excellent
0: branding so, uh, tool, and for n- sure.
1: Not to mention, I don't want to cut in on her, her right.
0: action I should have brought her a crown she's doing okay she's okay. just gonna fall asleep soon so. <laughs> well it also
1: I came straight from Wisconsin so that, it helps me to yeah to not f- have to figure out where to put them
0: so, for sure yeah. for sure how long have you been up there
1: this is my second and hopefully final forever stint in Wisconsin. Oh, okay. I, yeah, I moved there the first time in 2008, May of 2008, and I lived there for eight and a half years without almost noticing because oh, I was wow. on, I was on tour most of the time. I yeah, guess. sure. And this time I just moved back almost a year ago. Almost a year ago, because I'm doing taxes right now. So I found my new uh-huh. haul receipt. So this was when, this was this time last year, the first week of October, I was packing up right across the park. I was on Rockwell.
0: And oh, yeah, between sure. Hirsch and Lemoyne. So. I, I love it over here. So
1: it's, you know.
0: Are you going to come did not, back to Chicago? I did not
1: love it in, in, on my street, but yeah, sure. Yeah, my streets, it was a hot area. So, yeah. Yeah. But um I come back and forth to Chicago all the time. But I like living in Wisconsin. So yeah. I, it's the northern south to me. I'm from Atlanta,
0: so it does have that that aspect to it. It's I very
1: there my next door neighbor has a Confederate flag in his window yeah, next to his like Trump, Trump that, right? poster. Uh-huh. I'm like, Okay, he uh-huh. won, you can take it down. <laughs> yep. uh-huh. And then but we're f- he's he's a nice neighbor. He yeah. snow blows my walk before I get up sometimes. Well that in is the winter. Really nice. So yeah. I'm trying to
0: build a bridge. Uh-huh. So you grew up in, in Atlanta, Yep. right? Uh, are your folks still there?
1: Uh, yeah. My mom, they're kind of, it makes visiting, uh, it's a lot of driving. My dad lives 45 minutes west and my mom lives 45 minutes east. So oh, okay. They live kind of out in the country on either side.
0: Just in the, like small, small little towns. My mom's there. in
1: a small little town. Actually, my dad lives in the town where I live from fourth grade until I graduated high school, which was like cows and like the day the Kmart came in sixth grade, was oh huge. sure, it was. Yeah. it's called Douglasville, but now it's like Douglasville is more of a bedroom community for Atlanta, like malls and right, you know, and right. Douglasville's all Bed Bath and Beyond. So, my mom lives in a little town called Rutledge, and it's their water tower. So they have a water tower, and it says "small but special."
0: Oh, so, beautiful! Yeah. There's a, there's a little town. Um, it's like near Harvard because my, my mom mm-hmm. had a had a flower shop in Woodstock, Illinois Oh yeah, I'm familiar And uh, there's a little town that they would deliver to And I can't recall the name of it right now But it's very close to the Wisconsin border Oh yeah it's... And it's a water tower and it's painted like a basketball oh. And it says 1952 oh. State Champs <laughs>
1: They're still clinging <laughs> every time i would see it my
0: heart oh my god have just to look, swell. I,
1: well now you know when i lived up there before and now i'm back and i drive to chicago for work all the time i try to take every different road i can yeah and i was just actually through harvard and woodstock dog Julin, my friend dog he's in poi dog pondering and he has a new band called the sunshine boys he's in expo 76 anyway i went to his house for a very civilized rehearsal for this gig, and took my time and went through Harvard and yeah. Woodstock. I'll look for the basketball. I'll ask Dog about it. He I'll might know.
0: F- I'll I'll look back and like see All exactly right. where it is. But I, uh, I like
1: driving slow through the little bitty towns.
0: It's it's really nice. I would deliver flowers for her. Oh, nice. Like. Summer job during college, and I just I got so much were joy they like out of basketballs it.
1: basketballs made out of carnations, like brown <laughs> carnation, you know, for the big game. Yeah, <laughs> I, lo- I like season opener, yeah, right? <laughs> little football made out of daisies.
0: So, was there music in the house when you were growing up?
1: Yeah, there was always music on the radio. I'm the only weirdo, in yeah, my, in any section of my family that I know. What your folks do? That plays music. Um, my dad. He was kind of a salesman. Like he worked at, there was a chain of stores called Otasco. I don't know if you ever know Otasco. No, no. And uh, they sold, I I used to love the smell of it. It was kind of like a farm and fleet or a big, like they sold tires and fishing lures and and I remember they always had the fans with like uh, like those mylar ribbons, so the that would show the fans were blowing out. You know when you'd go yeah. in and the oh, oscillating fans. I love it. Uh huh. Bicycles. We always got the the bicycle brand was the flying O with an O with wings on the sides. So, uh huh. So my dad worked at Otasco, and then my mom was a telephone operator and. All kinds of things, and yeah. my, my dad went ended up enlisting and went to Vietnam and uh, was a helicopter pilot. Went oh, wow! To flight training in like about 1970 uh-huh. and flew helicopters. Wow, and then. My mom was a kick-ass bartender and hostess at, like, fancy restaurants in Atlanta. My mom was hot. She still is. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, the pictures of her in, like, the vinyl go-go boots. Oh, and, hell yeah. You know, her frosted fingernails and frosted lipstick. <laughs> and she had a hairpiece that she would keep in the closet in this little box. And she would say, like, go get my hairpiece. And I was afraid of it. So no I'd way. Be like, eh, it was just like a... It was a little beehive? Yeah, kind of like a like if it, if it was a hat made of hair. And then she yeah. would stick it on there to have, like, the little boot, you know. the. Oh, my I, I guess God. She was a hair hopper, yeah, of a kind. But yeah, she looked good when she got it all together. She, she,
0: those tips probably skyrocketed. She, when was, she was really, that she's
1: wig. super sweet. Like she's very thoughtful. When I started bartending at the Hideout, she yeah. actually, I used some of her advice or stories that she had told me from bartending. That yeah, just, just she was like, remember people, remember their names, and she's, she's the most. She's the most. She's the hostess with the mostest. Yeah. The, like capital letters, all of that. Ask anybody. Like she makes everybody feel great. I whole. love it. She remembers things about you. So.
0: So you're you're hearing music on the radio. Oh yeah. Though. Sorry. Yeah. Back to music. No, you're good. Talking about you're bartending. good.
1: Yeah. Um. At we got because my parents both worked. We got dropped off pre-dawn, like every day during the week at my grandma's house, my mom's mom in downtown uh-huh. Atlanta, and she had the radio on. All day long until six o'clock when we put on Walter Cronkite, but then right on the TV, but it was WPLO 590 AM in Atlanta, which is hardcore country music. Uh-huh. So I listened to Buck Owens and Lynn Anderson and much, she loved Charlie Pride and just Tammy Wynette and George all Jones yeah. and all of that. And I loved Hee Haw. My first crush was Buck Owens. I was <laughs> super into Hee Haw. I got a uh-huh. pair of tiny little Hee Haw overalls for Christmas and wore them out but then my dad out of the, house. Out of the I mm. wore proud, I'm saying proud. Yeah. yeah. Proud. And then at our house we had a record player We listened to pop radio, WQXI, Skinny Bobby Harper, and that was like the top 40. Uh I loved Sly and the Family Stone and the Archies and Mamas and Papas and all that stuff. And then my mom, we had a record, big record player, like a big coffin, you know, the big console, and she would play Tom Jones or Van Morrison records. And my dad loved soul music, so my dad Mm -hmm. had a stack of soul 45s, like Jackie Wilson and Ray Charles and... This guy that people might know is like a ti- tiny... He was a popular guy around Atlanta called Gorgeous George. Oh, okay. Like, worked the mic. I ended up getting to see him later in my life. He did like a... Tour when he was in his 70s in Atlanta. I saw him at the Royal Peacock, and yeah, my dad was right. He was
0: cool. When you say work the mic, is that like like uh, where
1: where they do the thing? Like James Brown would kind of like the mic almost falls on the ground. Yeah, Yeah, he was the best mic worker I ever saw. Wow. It would almost like hit the ground. We were in the front row at the Royal Peacock, and then he would do this thing like. Like motioning with his fingers, like come to me, like it was his woman, oh, like come to me, and then yeah. then he'd be like, uh-huh. no, I changed my mind, and like <laughs> and then the mic would go up, and and you forgot that it, you never saw his foot doing it. He was because uh-huh. he was selling it with his face and his fingers. Yeah, and yeah. My dad, he's like, I saw Gorgeous George play a show at a football field, and he ended it by climbing up the goalpost and uh-huh. singing, like you know. <laughs> threw his wig to the crowd and all this. So, yeah, my dad loves soul music.
0: When when did you get, like, the singing bug? Did you start early?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. My mom, I used to like hold on to that console, you know, the big record player and the yeah, big yeah. wooden top and like I'd be like a Victrola. Yeah. It was, you know, like a like mid-century modern yeah, like, yeah. like big console and you lift up the top and it's wood and heavy mm-hmm. and it used to slam down on my fingers cuz I would be over there hanging onto it, like yeah. pulling myself up on it before I could walk and that's and that's why I got my own record player when I was 4 or 5 so I would stop getting my fingers slammed in the <laughs> record player. But yeah, my mom said before I could speak Full sentences. I could sing entire songs. Wow! Like I, anything I heard on the radio, yeah, and I'd be singing the whole thing.
0: And you're so. you're classically trained too, right?
1: If you classically in school, like yeah. I got I got didn't get into chorus until seventh grade. So uh-huh. that's like I was twelve. So I, that's when I started learning sort of how to read music, like in a choir, and, yeah. and what. Like, I was singing harmony. I just didn't know it, really, because my brother would always punch me, like, you're singing the wrong part. You're singing uh-huh. the wrong notes. And I didn't realize I was singing harmony to stuff on the radio. But yeah, then I'm once
0: emphasizing I was... the feeling here, dude. <laughs> yeah, I
1: know. Just I didn't know I was singing harmony, but I would pick out the harmony parts. But then I got in chorus, and then I was like, oh, I could see it on the page and yeah. you know, knew what it was. And then I sort of really... Advance like when I got to high school, you're supposed to start with like basic chorus, freshman chorus. But I started singing, and the next week they're like they bumped me up to senior chorus. Me and my two friends who would harmonize together. So Oh wow! And then took music theory, and music theory, I was like, oh. And then I was, I realized it was math, and then I liked it because I like math. So it's like art and math in a Cirque du Soleil. Together, Love, yeah, not yeah, yeah. yeah, doing their thing.
0: You can you can make something, and you know. Just by the equation, what it's going to do. Like, yeah. Oh, we drop it here. and oh, it's Everybody's going to get I, the feels. And
1: I, you know, I'm so far away from that now. Like right. I used to be able to read music by the time I got out of high school and then it slowly ebbed away. I remember being in a musical in Atlanta. I used to do musicals there and was shocked cuz they expected me to read music when I got in this musical and I was like faking it uh uh-huh. I got got yelled at but yeah, I just had just... to go home and study really <laughs> hard and learn it all by heart in one day and so so it when, worked out
0: when you were uh when you're a teenager then it's like R E M and and B52s is Athens' Happening? REM was a little
1: bit, I didn't hear of them until I was in like maybe 19 or 20 and I was uh-huh. already out of school. B 52s were my favorite band for yeah. the last two years of high school. I got to go see them play at the Fox a couple times. Fox is kind of like the Chicago Theater of Atlanta, big Egyptian themed, beautiful yeah. theater. Wow. And they were amazing. I like the cars. I like, yeah. I, I saw the Dickies one time when I was babysitting. Do you know who the Dickies oh, are? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, but I lived in Douglasville and there was no records, there was no way to get a Dickies record. I Uh just always, you try to memorize something on the spot. Yeah, yeah. And this was... You know, in middle school I liked Kiss and Journey And I still, I'll go to bat for Journey any day Steve Perry is one of the reasons I became a singer Oh yeah That guy can sing Oh, he can yeah. absolutely sing Amazing And you I just saw them twice You tune out what he's live. saying but... And he, he does, well, yeah Because <laughs> it's not much There's not much there Yeah, you shake it out There's not, there's not a whole lot of nuts in that can Right Lyric-wise But dude, like he plays with phrasing Like if you ever watch live footage from like that peak time Like 80, 81, 82 and just like running around and so they were he was a big inspiration to me so I'll take your word for it It was yeah. he was amazing <laughs> I I get to I'm playing a benefit uh October 12th here in Chicago and one of the songs, it's like a cancer scientist benefit and one of the songs is Don't Stop Believing. Not my favorite journey song by far, I tell you, but what, I it... get to sing lead on Don't Stop Believing at the Museum of Science and Industry. That's pretty wild. And I'm going to just what am I going to wear? I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I'm quite excited. Quite excited.
0: So I guess like when, um, when, when does the I guess, what's your interaction with, like, because when I think of, you know, uh, uh, Georgia in the 80s, it's mm-hmm. it's Athens. I mm-hmm. think Athens maybe really picks up in, like, the, the mid-80s, right?
1: That Yeah, Athens was hopping. I mean, B-52s just took off and, pew, you know, they were out of there. I started hearing about REM. I was working at a veterinary hospital when I was 19 and, and this 20 goes way and 21. back this yeah. thing yeah oh yeah for sure and um oh yeah I got it bad and <laughs> that the first my first visit to Athens was actually to take a deceased puppy who had salmonella because oh. when they have salmonella that's like public health threat and yeah. so we had to deliver this tiny poodle puppy who was purchased from a pet shop so don't pet shops should never sell animals yeah. anyway that's a whole nother radio show <laughs> so my vet at the time who had graduated from university of georgia he's like well we got to get it okay i was like okay we got to get it there tonight so do you want to go up and ride with me to athens you've never been and i was like okay sure and so we drove up to athens was like 65 miles and my first place I visited in Athens was the uh, morgue, the veterinary morgue of the University of Georgia and we have this tiny little white puppy like a guinea pig sized puppy and we took it in this door, this cooler and I remember all these barrels with like legs sticking out of like Horse legs and cow legs, like that they had oh. been autopsied or whatever. Uh-huh. I don't know. Or they and they were going to study, you know, the structure of the leg. And we yeah. had to tag the toe of this tiny puppy and lay it on this little shelf in this refrigerator. And then I think we went and split a pitcher of beer <laughs> at a bar. I don't remember Just which bar.
0: Get rid of those feelings as soon yeah. as you can. And yeah. And then
1: and then he drove me around. Like here's the university, and here's this, and here's that. And then we drove back and yeah that's it but then that when i started going to athens in earnest things were super happening and it's because i started a band with my friend bill it's called the jody grind and we started playing a place called the downstairs in athens that was a cool little hole in the wall and super weird and dorky and you know record player yeah
0: yeah yeah it was it was still going when the uh when the jody grind was
1: yeah it wasn't rem was like by that time like you know, Jefferson Holt, the REM manager had like a mansion over in normal town right. and Michael Stipes mansion was a couple doors down. Uh-huh. And Peter Buck's fancy house with the slate swimming pool was over behind the crystal rest you know, crystals like the southern White Castle. Yeah. And then you know But Pylon
0: and like Love pa- Tractor are yeah, still Love kicking Tractor it.
1: was still a little bit and then Pylon maybe every now and then they were all starting to have families. It was uh-huh. more, Guadalcanal Diary was still oh yeah kicking, sure kicking ass and taking names. So it was more like five eight was a great band from Athens at that time, and Daisy, Roosevelt, uh, like Barbecue Killers and Mercyland yeah. and things like that with David Barbie and Laura Carter. And, oh, Dave. But, yeah. so Barbie's
0: playing in, in that stuff. Yeah he,
1: yeah, he was a badass. He, that... he hadn't really started doing a studio yet, so yeah. he was still kicking ass on the bass.
0: Well, it was funny when I started getting into looking at the things that, that you've done and then, you know, I think... Oh, okay, well, we go to Southern Rock Opera, and, you know, Barbie produced that, and then he produced one of your records, and then I'm like, oh, dig a little bit, and it's like, oh, whoa, they go way back. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. oh, yeah,
1: I've been knowing all these jokers a long time, and when I did my part on Southern Rock Opera, it was just at, uh, whose house was it? It might have been Cooley's house when he was living in Atlanta, and I was just in like a back bedroom with a microphone, and I Uh remember like... Singing and you know, and I was I was like, can you guys hear my tube top and my roach clip earrings? <laughs> I was, it's implied, you know. Yeah. And then I did one like I did like, oh, I wanted to do a little, you know, Van Zant like, overdue I don't know how I threw that in somehow. Yeah, and I could hear like because they were all the kitchen was the control room, and I could hear like. Wee! <laughs> we all had a lot of Pabst Blue Ribbons. And I, did wanna, I did want
0: to. I did want to talk to you about that. I love those like, guys. Oh my God! And and you're on you're on the best side of a drive-by trucker's record uh-huh. that there ever is, uh-huh. in my opinion. Thanks. Is, um, so how did that how did that come to be? Did I mean you go way back with well, all Patterson? Of them was and...
1: um, there was a bar in Athens called the Hi Hat for a while, and I met Patterson there because he was the sound man, uh-huh. and I just probably was playing. Like a Hogan solo thing yeah. Just me and another guy Or me and a guitar player And Patterson I And mean, they had this big Sort of bird's nest Sound man booth Where like a treehouse, which Where just like You know nails Or a little two by fours nailed on to the side So I remember They uh-huh. really having to climb up there Like hey I like a way more reverb than is than is tasteful i want you to put all this you know yeah yeah like climbing up into his tree house and then he's like all right <laughs> Kelly, all right so so we just i i ended up playing the hi-hat like every six weeks yeah sure knew. that's when he was um it wasn't adam's house cat and that was just very nascent drive-by truckers like pizza deliverance hadn't happened yet but it was mm-hmm. about to i believe uh, Jim Stacy like one of my many old boyfriends <laughs> did the artwork for them like they all hooked up and oh that's like the that's so. like the
0: real cartoony stuff that's before they got like the uh the gothic looking yeah, stuff yeah. that they have yeah so yeah
1: that's when I knew Patterson and so yeah he and I remember him I remember him saying like you know we're gonna do this we decided to do a rock opera I was like really uh-huh. he was like about Leonard Skinner <laughs> I was like Okay, cool I was trying to wrap my head Around that And he's like right. We want you to sing on it And I was like Okay uh, And uh-huh. I just thought You know I thought he was Wasted or he, You know That'll never happen What a cool idea And right. then like three years later Alright, it's time oh, For that's what? So funny. The rock opera
0: I was the like rock, Okay, cool That thing about, about Racism in the South And Leonard Skinner I Lenin know, I and, know. Oh.
1: It was so much more Than a Leonard Skinner Rock opera You know Yeah. But yeah And then And then it took off Absolutely. I was so happy for them Yeah they're, to they're this amaz- day, I know. they—they're oh they, they're just amazing. I love that. There, there are many nuts in their
0: can. <laughs> yeah. So how did, how did you meet uh, Bill Taft? Because that's kind of the beginning of uh, Jody, Jody Grind. Grind, right?
1: Yeah, I met him at a show at a defunct. It used to be a hot dog joint called lums Uh and it still vaguely smelled like hot dogs and old beer their lums was boiled in beer that was their angle was hot dogs boiled in beer (laughs) and uh, around 14th street in atlanta but it was a club for a while and i still don't know what that club was called i remember there were a million you know like when you Throw pencils in the in the uh, yeah the the, the fake yeah. ceiling like for some reason there were like pencils up there and chopsticks and like an old classroom like wads of stuff, and we went I went to see this band called Mouthful of Bees that I was into and Bill was sitting at the table, drinking a pitcher of beer. I remember we just started talking about music and I kind of recognized him. He's a very distinctive looking guy. He looked I thought he was fifty five years old or something. He's yeah, very sure. like and he talks kind of like this, and we started talking, and he's like, what music do you listen to? And I was like, well, Duke Ellington and Hoagy Carmichael. Hoagy Carmichael, I'm very interested in this, very interested. And I was like, okay. And and then I was working at a record store called Turtles, this t- chain of record stores, and I said, well, I work at Turtles, and he came by to see me like a couple of days later and yeah. like, Sell me some tapes like you're talking about. Oh so, my god! And I didn't realize he it, he was playing blues guitar in this band called the Crawling King Snakes, and he wanted to know more about jazz. So, yeah. So that's kind of like the Jody grind, you know, was this weird cobb salad of jazz and country and blues and all this stuff. So it was just all this stuff we yeah. Heard, and there's just that like gave boners, punk boners at the too. time. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and so. So that's it's so how we freeform. started. Yeah. yeah,
0: and that's all in in Cabbage Town, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. He lived on Savannah Street in Cabbage Town. I used to go to his house and practice. And we he had a um, he had a variety night at this bar called the White Dot in on Ponce de Leon that used to be an A and P where we shopped in the third grade. Boy boy do I have a lot of hot air. Oh yeah. Um but I can see it now. But he had a it's like Monday night, like Uh they just threw him a little bone and it was called an evening with the garbage man. And he would have all kinds of people come play or um uh this poet guy, Deacon Lunchbox, who was a big biker looking guy with a big red beard and he Uh would get on stage with just wearing a bra and some car hearts and hold a chainsaw over his head and sing in a Gata DeVita. Oh, then, my And then goodness. he would do his poetry while he was banging on a, like army surplus bombshell and so deacon was there and then so he said well come come start sitting in with me at my variety night so that's yeah. what i started doing is like it was almost just like this little lint ball he just was picking up lint because the jody Gr- our first name we just decided to call ourselves an evening with the garbage man uh-huh. that was our name for a while <laughs> and it was just whoever kept showing up on monday so i started singing oh my with god with him and then it turned into the jody grind and then we were doing covers like just stuff duke ellington and things yeah. like Booth Indigo cover. Yeah. yeah, Holy shit. Because when I first started singing in bars, I was still in high school, and I started singing with, at the time, I was like, a bunch of old jazz nerds. They were like 30. Yeah, sure. And I (laughs) I would get it, you know, stormy weather and all of that, because I was super into Billie Holiday and Sarah Vaughan. She's the best. Stuff like that. And then so I taught, Bill learned all those songs for me. And then he came to me one day and gave me this cassette and I was like, "What is this?" And he's like, "These are some chords. I want you to put some words on the chords, and we'll do these songs next week." <laughs> and I'd never, I'd never thought to ever write a song in my life. It Why? Never occurred to me. I don't know. You're
0: singing all of these songs.
1: Yeah, I'm uh, singing. Uh-huh. I, I'm way into singing. I never, <laughs> almost just like I didn't feel worthy, you know. Like I like to write sure. poetry or stuff like that, but I didn't know how to play anything, yeah. Yeah. so. So, but he just would give me like these cassette tapes of him playing chord progressions over and over, and then, and then yeah, I just started. That was that was cool. I could do that because I sort of if I hear like a vacuum cleaner or a rhythmic you know pile driver going, I'll start writing a melody to it, you know, or something, you know, just like some long. Like I once had a upstairs neighbor who liked that kind of ed. Is it EDM? EDM. Yeah. Like dude dude uh-huh. and just it kept me awake so i would just start writing bum 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 beep beep you know i just start writing where is that record i don't <laughs> hear that <laughs> nobody wants to hear that oh i was in misery but uh mm-hmm. so yeah so that's how the jody Grind happened yeah and, and bill bill just helped me figure out how i could write songs and we kept write, even after the jody Grind was over we had a band a duo called kick me and we still wrote tons of songs in that way and i haven't written songs like in that capacity, like I haven't been prolific or anything since then. Yeah. It was just you have to find somebody that you're comfortable with and
0: Well that's an yeah. interesting time for you yeah. and Bill, right? Like mm-hmm. um uh this is, I don't, I don't want to make you relive the thing that happened to you 30 years ago, but it this, sucked. Right, right, yeah. yeah. Mostly for my friends. I didn't know this story until, uh, you know, a few days ago. Oh, really? I, I knew you starting mm-hmm. at Bloodshot, mm-hmm. so, um, yeah. You,
1: my friends died in a wreck on tour, so part of our band, half yeah, of your band, yeah, yeah it exploded our bands, and Bill and I were. In a different car with the manager that we're gonna come back the next day. So, yeah. And it was Deacon Lunchbox, the guy who I was talking about, our dear friend Deacon Lunchbox, his real name's Tim Ruttenberg. Mm -hmm. And he was riding back with Robert Hayes and our new drummer. And uh, yeah, they got hit by a drunk driver head on on the way back on the interstate in Alabama. So everybody died except the drunk driver who lived miraculously. Yeah. I don't know how, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, and Bill and I came back the next day and we had no idea. Like we drove right past where it had happened, but you know you don't know until we got home. So yeah, so that was the end of the Jody grind. But then I remember Bill calling me, like we both got home. It was like a Sunday night, and I think and I got home and my boyfriend was breaking the news to me, and he got home and his wife was telling him everything that happened, and then like maybe an hour or so bill called me and we were crying and he's and then talking for a minute and then he said well i'll see you next thursday and i was like what's next thursday and he said band practice because we had we had a regular band practice Uh and so i said okay and so we just we never stopped meeting on that thursday and for a while we just would meet and drink coffee or drink and whiskey or just sit or drink or listen to records and then we started writing some songs and then we decided we would i guess oh they might be giants it was so weird i was working at that time at a record store in atlanta a great used record store called wax and facts
0: Uh and
1: i i don't know somehow i got the call when i was working there that they might be giants wanted needed an opening band for a southeastern ish tour okay and had maybe thought of the jody grime but would me and Bill want to do it as a duo so uh-huh. so we th- decided we would take a stab at it and that sort of forced us to become a band.
0: How did they and, how did that go? because
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was we loved them. They were really nice and they it was uh what record was it? It was the i think they were great uh apollo 13 or whatever is a great record and they were riding high because it was after like don't let's start and birdhouse in your soul and like yeah so it was the i'll know.
0: admit the only one the only one that i know is the replacement song and then i guess the song that they played at the beginning of malcolm in the middle the, they might be oh, giant right, songs right, about, right, right, about right. the replacements. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is all
1: they're um you should check it out. There's yeah. some really good lyrical nuts in their can. It's like dovetail joints, like the way their words fit and it's witty and which might not be your bag. What's wrong? I love wittises. It's very ang- uh-huh. it's angular and weird and uh-huh. their band, I mean, their band was amazing. Uh, the first guy we met when we the first show was like St. Augustine or something in Florida. And the friendliest night nice this guy like walking towards us like hey i hear you guys are opening for us and it was tony mamone who played bass with pair ubu forever and oh no playing. way everybody and tony was like our he's, he made us feel so welcome yeah so he was the bass player and they had a horn section and it was just killer and john and john are both great musicians so so that was all good now me and bill Playing just me singing and him playing guitar, and Bill plays the weirdest, sparsest guitar. Like Uh I always said, it's like watching, you know, somebody tightrope, like, you know, watching the great Walenda walk across the Tallulah Gorge. Like, is he going to make it? You know how Neil Young will play these one note, doink, doink solos, but he's got a band behind him? Uh huh. Bill would just doink, doink, (laughs) doink. And to me, I could hear every, you know, I knew where he was, and he knew that I knew where the song was happening, but it was just very. Like watching a spider spin a web. So it was, we got some hecklage. We got some hecklage. I got got some show us your tits and stuff, but it was we were we were pretty at that time too with that year and all the shit that went down and happened to us we we're just like bring it on and yeah so, for sure And we were playing these and I would come out and be like here's 10 songs about my ex-boyfriend they're uh, all sad <laughs> you know and people were like come on Istanbul not Constantinople come on right and, like they wanted to hear I'm
0: like you don't these... know what I've been through so <laughs> yeah, shut we didn't, up
1: yeah well we, not like that but it was after a while it's just like check it out we're gonna go to negative 11 yeah <laughs> oh yeah for and, sure uh, by the end of the tour it was like Bogarts in Cincinnati and we were just like fuck all you fuckers I think we had like we had broken down on the way and like barely made it and we just wrote in sharpie like Oh, oh, what was it? One of the guys in the crew was from England and it said something what did he what did his shirt said like oh it said Northern Scum, like I guess from Northern UK. Oh like sure, were. yeah. And so we wrote like, you know, Southern, Southern Scum Span. on the on our shirts with Sharpie <laughs> and just came out there and then just was like, Thank you. Fuck off. Oh, like man, ran off good. the stage. But it was some good times. It was just me and Bill and and my pit bull chainsaw in our van with a mattress in the back. And then we decided at the last second, our friend Jack Pendarvis, who's a great writer, um, we had Jack come with us because we figured if we got mad at each other, we'd have somebody to hang out with. Like, right, like a third person would always uh-huh. make it okay. So, and that was an epic.
0: Trip. Just for a little breather. Yeah, we then, need
1: somebody else. If we, if I get mad at you, you get mad at me. You and Bill can, you know, you and Jack can go get a beer or whatever. So it was, it was fun.
0: So you made uh, in a way. Right, right. In A horrible, horrible <laughs> year.
1: We did the best we could.
0: Um, you make. Whistle Only Dogs mm-hmm, Can Hear mm-hmm. With Bill And you're, you're still in Atlanta At that yeah, point Yeah Bill
1: was kind of Just a guest star On that Because yeah. by that time He had started playing With um, this guy Benjamin Who was in a band Called Opal Fox Quartet There's a great movie About Benjamin Called Benjamin Smoke That Jim Cohen made It's a great documentary Is that
0: That Smoke the band Yeah Because yeah. that, that fucking Knocked me out When yeah. I found that Yeah
1: they're amazing So Bill had started Oh well Deacon Lunchbox Who died in the Jody grind wreck, Was in Opal Fox Quartet And they kind of decided the way we decided Jody Grind couldn't go on. There's no way to have the Jody Grind anymore. And Opal Fox was like, there's no way to have Opal Fox without Deacon. Mm -hmm. So they became Smoke. And me and Bill became, well, we ended up being Kick Me (laughs) because we we were were feeling so (laughs) beat down. We were going to have T-shirts with Kick Me on the back, you know, and stickers you could stick on your victims. But anyway, so Kick Me and Smoke came out. So Bill was mostly playing in Smoke. Mm And then I was playing with uh, Andy Hopkins, a great guitar player who ended up moving to Chicago for a while, playing with Andrew Bird and folks. And then um, who else? Who was... I forget Are all... Were you doing
0: Rocketeens too? Is that... That
1: that was happening around the same time. Yeah, uh-huh. teens started March of 94. And so when did... It, yeah, it was concurrent. Like I was having all these different bands at the same time. I had my solo band and then teens at the same time.
0: But you... End up moving to Chicago. And Mm -hmm. I guess the the story that I keep coming across is that you come to Chicago... And you're like, I'm I'm yeah, done with Yeah, music. Well, I was
1: trying to. You know how like people fantasize about something they <laughs> you know, maybe people who work at a bank want to be in a band and, yeah, sure. and people in a band were like, What is what is a weekend? What's right. a weekend like? Like what is nine five? What uh-huh. is health insurance like? You know? So and it was <sighs> it was a bad time in Atlanta, kinda starting right around the Jody Grind wreck. I mean so many people died. It was like heroin was like a flamethrower just like just going through atlanta jesus and that's kind of how the team started actually a very good friend of ours alan page who was going to be he was the drummer noble fox quartet he was starting a band with chris lopez called the new centurions and then he died and that's when lopez and i he's like do you still want to learn how to play guitar and i was like yep and that's when rock teens started yeah. after Alan died. So it was just, it was just, it was just like, you know, you get knocked down and you dust yourself off and you get back up. And mm-hmm. there's that Buddhist saying, maybe Buddhist, like get knocked down six times, get up seven. Yeah. And after like 77 times, I'm like, fuck Yo. it. I'm just, just going to uh-huh. stay down here for a while. I'm going to lay down here on the floor for a while. <laughs> yeah. And so that was just kind of like, it was just like, let me see if I can do something else. And, and I love the Rocketeens with all right. my heart. Oh, right? <gasps> yes. Yeah. Did you hear that? Eddie. Did you hear it? That's Ed, alright, Ed. Eddie. It's so punk rock. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. That's the Chihuahua in him that I'm trying to leech yeah. out. Yeah. So. Oh, I know, Eddie. I know. But yeah, so Rocketeens, I love them, and I with all my heart. And I was still, tr- I was going to try to stay in the Rocketeens when I moved up here. Uh huh. And I did for a while. But Rock Teens was the kind of band that would like drop a transmission every tour and somehow we'd all owe the band three hundred dollars when we get home, you know. So that just became impossible. And Mm -hmm. I went I went we went on one last tour. I'd already moved here in April of ninety seven. And we toured like May June and I remember the last show was in Atlanta and I cried like the whole time. Aww. And we all had like everybody wore black armbands with did a little sharpie like like prison black tear and, and it was uh, <laughs> I was it was and that band was I didn't front that band. You know what yeah, I mean? That's Chris yeah. Lopez's band. So uh-huh. that that was the first band. I was in where I wasn't the front person and it was fantastic. Oh, yeah, sure. I love just being. You just get to do the thing.
0: In the band. Like, Mm -hmm. and
1: I sucked. Like, I was playing one string on a guitar. I was playing the bass part on a guitar on one big fat E string. Uh huh. And that was it. Like, (laughs) like (laughs) terrible. I got, oh, so heckled, but it just kind of fit what we wanted that music to be. Yeah. So we we I would much better to be in the rock teens than listening to the rock Teens, yeah. especially when I was in the Rocketeens.
0: Then, because then you got to listen like, what are you doing? Or just and talk uh-huh. about
1: talk about reverb to the point of untasteful. Or it, we loved it. Just there was reverb. One review was like reverb dripping like span like you know goo like on this mm-hmm. record. Like my whole apartment got sticky from all the reverb, and we're like, <laughs> yeah. That's Perfect. right. That's how we Perfect. wanted it. <laughs> so, yeah. But then I moved to Chicago and I thought, let me just see if I can do something else. What
0: was something else?
1: Well, I had painted houses after the Jody Grind thing. Bill Taft was always a house painter, so he taught me how to be a professional house painter. So yeah. And then tons of jobs. I was house painting all the time. I loved it. It was very pleasing, very soothing. I'm good at heights. I'd be on a 30 foot ladder all day with wasps crawling all over me. Um, So when I moved here, actually my boyfriend at the time when I was moving here, I also started dating somebody in Chicago. So that was like, I was trying to decide between Austin and San Francisco and Chicago, uh-huh. and that kind of tipped the scales. That was one of the things that won me over to Chicago. But his friend, one of his best friends, was Rob Miller from Bloodshot. And I remember oh, cool. him helping me, like, load my records up the stairs in my uh-huh. apartment when I moved here, complaining about my record collection. I'm busting my nuts for the Bangles. I was like, dude, <laughs> look next to it. There's, like, bong water in there. There's other stuff. <laughs> But he, it was just coincidental that their publicist had kind of left them a goodbye note. Like they came to work and it was like so long suckers and their publicist left and he was like, can you do publicity? And they had like six releases just come out Mm -hmm. and I was like, well, I've done it sort of seat of the pants for my own bands Yeah. and they were in a bind. And so when I, I went to work for them when I got here, here in June and, uh, doing my best that was back before email i was making a thousand calls a day oh, to people God, who didn't want to get my calls you yeah. know and trying to figure out how to do it and and i remember we went the first day he's like we're gonna go see one of our acts tonight at house of blues and it was robbie folks and it was just like yes yeah. i thought he was amazing and just getting to i had seen the Mekons, but i didn't know about the you know the waco brothers yeah and, so I just fell in it's with Bloodshot, happened. and it was supposed yeah. to be kind of a temporary thing. Uh-huh. Like, I wanted to work, you know, oh, and Rob Miller was also a house painter, so that was perfect. So yeah, we would also sure. paint a few houses, work at Bloodshot, and I thought, maybe I'll work at the Crafty Beaver. That idea cracked me up. Crafty Beaver, the hardware store chain. Okay, yeah, sure. Now there's just one left. I'm like, hang in there, little Crafty Beaver. Uh-huh. I just wanted to wear the t-shirt that said, like, Crafty Beaver. Yeah. But I'll run yeah. the paint department uh-huh. at the Crafty Beaver. Uh-huh. I thought that was my destiny. <laughs> But I kept working at Bloodshot, and then all of a sudden, then people, like, oh, oh, we went to see Dale Watson at Shuba's, and I remember Dale called me, I was friends with him, and Dale Watson called me up on stage, and I sang a song with Dale, and I remember coming off the stage, and I went, walked past Rob Miller, and he just went, you're fired, and I was like, what are you talking about, he's like, you're fired. You shouldn't be working. You should be yeah. making a record. For, yeah. Like his way of saying that was good. And then his
0: entire like roster is like, hey, uh, we got a, oh, we that's got a record I, I, that we're recording right yeah, now. Can well, you I come start, over? John,
1: I met I met John Langford and he yeah. and I hit it off right away. And then, yeah, he was like, you should make it. You know, I sang on the Bob Wills tribute. They did. And yeah. Ended up making a record. And so, yeah, then I, I moved to the other side of the desk. And that's how that happened. And so, then you, you were
0: yeah. when you start working at the hideout then.
1: Um, Right around uh, April of.
0: Oh, You're just gosh. not getting out. You're just no, not well, getting I out. I always of tell this people, world, Chicago's
1: right? a horrible place to quit music. Uh huh. It really is yeah. such a verdant musical town. You know, just stand on the corner and people drive out, roll their window down, and like, you know, will you sing on my record? At least, yeah. you know, this was my experience uh-huh. once I started kind of – and I was, you know, to be honest, I got pretty miserable pretty fast not being in a band. Oh, sure, Because yeah. I would go – we'd have to go see bands all the time, and normally I can see any band, and even if I'm not into the music, I'm like, all right, you go, guys, you know, do your thing. And mm-hmm. it just made me miserable. Like I've, I've said this before, like I would see a band with a female singer, and it would particularly just make me like – not hateful, but it'd just be like, just envious. Like, yeah. Oh, when yeah. she goes to the bathroom, I'm gonna knock her over the head, and <laughs> change clothes, and come out. Cindy, Cindy is indisposed. I will be finishing the set. So I was kind of miserable, and it was Bruce Finkelman who runs the Empty, or that was the the time his only deal was Empty Bottle, and I used to have to. Part of my duties were to get the posters around town for Bloodshot artists playing, and so I'd have to call, like, hey, did you guys get these you know, Moonshine Willie posters? And Bruce would be like, yeah, we got those posters. When are you going to play my club? Because I had played his club as Hogan and as Rockateens before I lived here, and I was like, Bruce, I'm not doing music anymore. And he's like, yeah, whatever. And then, you know, for months, I think I like in October, because I started working there in June. And then October I called, like, hey, did you get those, you know, Whiskeytown posters I sent over? And he's like, yeah, and you need to get me posters for your show. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, you're playing here uh-huh. next week or something. And I remember it was like November 17th. Yeah. I, I went and got a reader. And he just the actually reader, booked you? And he put me, oh on, my God. He put me on the bill. <laughs> and I remember hanging up the phone and, like, looking and seeing that in the reader. And I call, our our office at Bloodshot was just a basement. We called it DOS Boat, just this tiny little... Narrow shoebox basement Uh And I called over to Nan's desk And I was like, Nan, do you know any guitar players? She's like, oh, I think... Brett from, you know, Handsome Family might help you out yeah, and she out. got me uh-huh. his number. I knew them. I knew the Handsome Family cuz I saw them open for Wilco and that night later that night Rock Teens were playing the Claremont Lounge, which uh-huh. is a strip club in Atlanta, and it was beyond <laughs> sold out and it was and we were like running from Wilco over there to play the show and yeah. as as we were running in it was like we saw the Handsome Family who I knew their music and had watched them open the show and I saw them standing in line to get in and I was like Hi, I saw you open. Come with me, and so I got them into our Rocketteens show, and so we were friends. So, so Brett owed me, man. Uh No, so so he he played guitar with me for that show, and then I just started playing shows. Yeah, it's Bruce's. It's it's sort of Bruce's fault.
0: You make a couple of records in in quick succession, right? Like beneath Uh, Country Underdog and Because It Feel Good.
1: Yeah, when did I do that? Like ninety six and. Because it feel No, actually, you know, there were like four years between them. I'm, I'm slow. I got low metabolism. Yeah. Man. So like 96, I think, was... 95, 96 was... That was the first one. Yeah, Beneath the Country Underdog. and uh-huh. then And then because it feel good, I know I made it like in Atlanta. Yeah, like you made that one with David. Yeah, David Barbie and Andrew Bird was in my band and John Rawhouse from Nico Case's band. And we went down and played a lot of wiffle ball and... Made a record and then, yeah, it came, that, it came out like the release date was right around nine eleven. I remember. So was that oh, yeah wow. two thousand. So yeah. it, was, it was like that week my record came oh, out, fuck. which is yeah, yeah. some crazy. Crazy shit. Man. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. So four years between records, but I was singing on people's records. You're all, all the time. over the place too. You're oh
0: I'm a, a... <laughs> a, a slut uh, uh, for mean, you, singing. You're, you're you're singing with people like Alejandro mm-hmm. and Waco Brothers. But then I'm looking at some of your other stuff, and you got you got Oldham and yeah, and Silkworm. Yeah. And Tortoise. Yeah.
1: yeah. I know. So those people worked me like a mule on the Erie Canal. Yeah, Edith for Frost. Real. I met Edith Frost, and she was one of my early champions. I think she got me on that gig with the for the Will Oldham Ryan Murphy record, which uh-huh. I love. It's oh, just an EP. It's so and it's good. like four songs or something. And she said all the lyrics are nonsense lyrics. I was like, okay, sure. Yeah, I and love nonsense. Archer Pruitt was uh, the other singer, and he was our musical director. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah, we worked. He worked us hard. And then ended up being on the Archer Pruitt record, and that's how oh I just touched your microphone oh that's all right. um that's how me and Nora O'Connor kind of really got tight because she and I were singing together in Andrew Bird's band, and we both got called to be on the Archer Pruitt record. We were supposed to be on like maybe two songs, and we went into Mark Greenberg, who now runs the Wilco loft. He had a Mayfair, which is his garage behind his house that was did a bunch of records there we went in Mayfair thought we were going to be there for two hours I think nine hours later we came out we were both walking to our cars and we're like what the fuck just happened? Like, what did we just do? We Like wiping off foam, like we're Pony Express horses, you know? And then that we, that sort of cemented our our marriage. We were married oh, in the garage.
0: No. So when did when did you get uh, when did you get tied with Nico? When does that come?
1: I met her when I worked at Bloodshot. When I was working at Bloodshot, making all these calls every day, I called this one writer, Tim Perlitch in Toronto, to ask your him, name. Recall is. It's <laughs> very, very impressive. Uh, I, I try. I yeah. try so hard. I write a lot of stuff down these days. So yeah, for sure. But, uh-huh. um, well, Tim, he was writing for in Toronto, and I had to call him and be like, Did you get our Whiskey Town 7 inch? And are you going to write about it? Is that it?
0: theme for a trucker? That's like the earliest. Like
1: issue, it was, right? yeah, I can't. Now you remember that because I don't remember. I think theme for a trucker was a 7 inch. Well, my my so. link
0: into into this world is uh-huh. being, being like 11, 12 years old and the you know 1996 97 bloodshot You're such releases a baby, huh? oh yeah i know mm-hmm. just, just that that stuff occupied the car rides mm-hmm. for oh, such a such a long time it it was good at the time it wasn't cuz i'm like no Banjos, like slag oh, guitar. Oh, like, I see. I uh, uh, see. Uh-uh. Oh, so
1: your parents were into it. Were into yeah. It. That's why were, I was like, they were
0: really into it. I was wondering, like, an 11-year-old? Hmm. Took me know. a while, but then by the time I'm like 17, 18, the I'm indoctrination. like, oh, <laughs> the Stockholm Syndrome was, 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 yeah, all it was I had done its work.
1: <laughs> ah. Just a little gas, just a little gas every day. Sure. But, yeah. So I called Tim Perlich, you know, about this seven-inch, and and we talked about that, and he was like, and i think i was saying like i'm hogan and he was like are you kelly hogan from the rocketeens from yeah. and i said yeah and uh-huh. so he knew of me and then we talked about a whole bunch of other stuff and and he said actually i'm writing about the whiskey town thing i'll send you the tear sheet of the review and so like a week later i got the envelope with this little review and then inside that was a clipping out of uh the same paper and it was a picture of nico sitting in a like a papasan chair with her legs sticking up in the air, wearing, like, leather chaps, holding a pillow with the Playboy bunny on it, and, (laughs) like, upside down, and it was just a little tiny, like, sidebar Q&A, like, questions with Nico Case, who's on the road right now with the Sadies, and it was, I remember it was really funny, she's one of the funniest people in the world, you know, it's like, what's your... The, one of the questions was like, what's your best pickup line? And hers was like, will you massage my vagina? <laughs> and, and she, uh, yeah, so I was like, yeah, this is my kind of lady. And, but uh-huh. there was a little post-it note on it from Tim and it said, based on our conversation, I think you would really like this person's music. Yeah. And I just, I hadn't heard her music, but I I was like, okay, Mint Records, she's on Mint. So I called, picked up the phone, found the information, called Mint Records in Vancouver and said, you know, when is your artist touring America? Like, oh, she'll be at CMJ next week. And I was like, oh, so will I. Mm -hmm. And so I went to, I was dragging Rob Miller to see her showcase. And he's like, who are we going to see? I was like, this woman, Nico Case. He's like, what does she sound like? I was like, I don't know. And he's like, a girl singer, whatever, like, giving me shit, you know? Yeah, yeah. And he's like, okay, whatever, but I'm not staying long. And I was like, okay, fine. And we get to this bar, and she comes out, and she has no band. It's just her and Carolyn and Mark, her running buddy. And she's wearing, like, this weird plastic kind of naugahyde brown dress. She looks like Ann Margrock from the Flintstones. Oh, sure, and, Yeah. And, and she comes out, and what was the first song she did? She did she do Timber? She might have did Timber. And I just remember, you know, when you want want somebody to be good, and you just have yep. this feeling, and you just want to like them. And yep. she was. It was just a couple notes in with just her and Carolyn Mark playing acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. And... And I remember Rob Miller leaned over and he's like, want to sign somebody? And I was like, I told you, I told you, I had this gut feeling. And then Nico was mobbed, like even at that time afterwards, all these people, because I was sort of waiting to try to talk to her. Oh, I remember I went to the bar and bought Jägermeister's and put them up on stage, like two little Uh shots of Jägermeister. And they were like, ah. And then I remember waiting to talk to Nico and Carol and Mark. She's kind of like, she reminds me of Rosalind Russell. Like, she's t- tall and kind of goofy and yeah, really sure. great. And I remember her coming over to me. And she's like, oh, she's going to be mobbed for hours. I'll have a drink with you. Let's go hang out. And yeah. so Carolyn, Mark and I hung out and ended up Nico, like, came over and just was like, thanks for the drink. And I have to go do this and this and this. But And I was like, well, do you want to have breakfast tomorrow? And she, so... We went. To, we made a date to meet at Yona Schimmel for Kanish on Houston Street the next day, and I remember <laughs> Carol and Mark and I watched the sun come up. Carol and Mark and I just ran ragged yeah, to the sure. selka and had like pierogies at four in the morning, and and I remember it like the sun coming up at this bar, and Carolyn's like, "You sure you won't have one more?" I was like, "No, <laughs> I don't go drinking with Carolyn Mark." Uh-huh. So I went and slept on my friend's floor. For like 45 minutes. And then met them. And Nico and I just hit it off like immediately. And I remember us, it was her first ever trip to New York City, ever. And she said, she said, I thought when I got to New York, there would just be like people in leg warmers dancing on top of taxi cabs, liking fame. And I was like, me too. And so we bonded (laughs) over the movie Fame. And I was like, that's what I thought too when I first came here. And when we got out of the conishery and we were walking away, we walked past this public park and there were people in leg warmers doing some outdoor performance and we're like, yeah.
0: Oh my God, And we stayed and
1: watched like some crazy (laughs) like freeform play in this park on houston street we're like yeah and then we were just friends and then bloodshot signed her right away or they licensed the virginian that record Uh which was out on mint and so so i was working her record in the u.s and we were talking and then i remember i knew her for a couple months before she knew i sang and she punched me really hard when she found out i sang you didn't tell me you sang and like She's like, "Come what sing you, on my record I'm gonna right tell now!" You.
0: Oh, for real? That's yeah. funny. So she was Is in that town. that blacklisted?
1: No, she was in town to do a single with the Sadies. Oh, okay. Make your yeah. bed, the river, young girl, and <laughs> yeah. So I, but yeah, she she came and punched me real hard. So that was that was yeah, September '97. Yeah. When all that happened, but we hit it off right away, and, and then, then we started touring
0: together, and it's kind of. It's, Still, right? Are you um, still doing it? No,
1: I haven't since um, the last the last record that came out was right when the last Decemberist record came out, and oh, okay. unfortunately, it all came out at the same time. And yeah. I was committed to Decemberist, but she's got kick-ass Shelley Short singing in her band, and the great Ro- Rachel Flotard. and they're kicking ass and taking names. So. That's
0: awesome. She's been yeah. she's been on New top pornographers for are here so tomorrow, long. Yeah, so, Jesus. Yeah. No,
1: she's she's got it going on. Yeah, she's she is a genius. She's a dang genius. So I guess with
0: uh, you know a dirty, dirty genius, we've been kind of bouncing I love around very on the, <laughs> the uh, timeline a little bit. Chloe's dreaming. I was. I thought some dog is dreaming. I looked at mine <laughs>
1: and they're. Yeah, it's okay.
0: Um, because like, what I'm what I'm wondering is we've got because it feel good in in two thousand and one, and then mm-hmm. you were obviously busy doing a lot of different things, but you weren't making records yourself no (laughs) no i was touring i was
1: singing especially in nico's band once nico's stuff really took off i mean that because i mean
0: like fox confessor comes and yeah i mean she's that was like march 2000 yeah yeah
1: yeah, even you know blacklisted and then the bloodshot releases were were big but then after march of 2006 it was just like boom i was yeah. gone i remember she called me up and she's like hogan guess what we got a tour bus for this tour i was and then at the time my dog augie would travel with us all the time on uh-huh. tour and i remember she's like we're getting a tour bus wait do we tell augie that was our first thought <laughs> and and augie did walk on that tour bus and like take a look at the couch and the tv and was like "It's about fucking time he dead beats, yep. you deadbeats know, yeah moved on up in the world so yeah she was Augie was very old she got uh-huh. maybe a year or so of tour bus life but she loved it
0: oh well, that's a good that's a good year to get in mm-hmm, I'll say um so I guess when you're um when you're doing all of this stuff it is the solo career are you kind of just saying all right well I, I did that and now I'm here mm-hmm. I'm doing this and, and then it's cool? Yeah, I with-
1: never felt, you know, there was never like, ah, oh, I gotta be the front person. you know? Right. No, it, it was just I just have rabies for music. I just, I liked it all. I was always getting asked to sing on people's records or do shows here. I was... Bartending hot and heavy at the hideout, like managing the bar at that point, and mm-hmm. just going crazy, and and then I started being uh, one of three DJs for XRT for the, this show called the Eclectic Company on Tuesday nights yeah. with uh, John Langford and Nicholas Tremulus were the other two two guys, and we would interview people, but mostly the interv- it would just be them playing what records they liked or what influenced them so they would kind of DJ and it was really fun and so I did that for a while and then as part of that they asked me to do a project which I didn't like the name of it. They named it Under Kelly's Covers but um, Uh I would... I was doing a cover song a week for a year, like 52 cover songs, just wherever I could, you know, people's garages, or I'd book a studio and do six in like a day. Is that where you
0: did the whole steady cover?
1: No, that was was after my record came out. That was because the AV Club has that series where people cover other people's... People's music. So I that was, love that. Cover. I was thinking about that the other day because I love the Hold Steady so much, and I was like, "That was so wild." Yeah. <laughs> like, I think I just saw a picture of myself like wearing whatever clothes that I was. I was like, uh-huh. oh yeah, that was what I wore when I did that on the porch of the hideout, and I love that song so much. I think so I played good, guitar. Yeah. I think I played guitar. Yeah. What, was you that did. Chloe snoring? Yeah, that's
0: was Chloe just <laughs> just snoring, just getting getting herself centered. Pug life. Uh uh-huh. so,
1: Yeah, but yeah, it was. So I was doing that and then that was right around the time that that the Nico thing she's like we got on the tour bus and that was during that year of trying to do a cover a week and so I was having to book a studio in Brooklyn oh, on our sure. day off or yeah. do this or try to record just with a handheld microphone or into this you know the so some stuff I did use like some old tracks I had but I probably made 38 to 40 new tracks that year and i still i haven't released them i yeah, have their yeah. varying degrees of sonic integrity i did go in 2017 uh at the end of alejandro escovedo tour i stayed in um oh no in between December and alejandro tour i stayed in brooklyn and worked with phil palazzolo who's He's tight with new pornographers and has a studio called Seaside Lounge and mm-hmm. I we sort of opened up a bunch of those old songs that I did real fast because yeah. we, we did a couple songs at Seaside for that project and we opened them up and remastered and or remixed because we never mastered them so I do have that like one I don't know my idea I feel like they're in my canning cellar you know I've got yeah, all these yeah. jars of peaches and pickled jalapenos and okra uh-huh. I don't know who wants to buy them I don't know but you know on uh, TuneCore you know, tune core, you can kind of put put up one song yeah. at a time. I kind of learned that in the past couple of years with, um, you can this, do a lot
0: uh, of different ways to release your own stuff yeah, at this yeah, point. Yeah, I have
1: two on TuneCore like and and they're called one's blue magic and one's blue snowfall just coincidentally. One was a Amazon Christmas single and uh-huh. so you can get blue snowfall and then Adventure Time that TV show used yeah, an old yeah. song from me and Bill Taft's days, so blue magic is oh, on that's there cool. so it makes me like a dozen dollars a year mostly in Japan streaming sure. from Japan. <laughs> but yeah, so so maybe one day I'll put out some of those. Under Kelly's cover songs on TuneCore.
0: So how do we get, I Like to Keep Myself in Pain?
1: How do you, oh, how do we get there? Yeah. That was from Singing with the Nico Band. Of course, she's on Anti Records in L.A. Uh And our honcho there, this great guy, Andy Kaufman, uh, Kaufman, Andy Calkin, and he is an amazing dude who works for Anti. He is a huge music lover. Like, I love to watch him. Listen to music, he's just mm-hmm. swaying side to side. He's like six foot, six million feet tall, and he's got this big giant hair. And uh-huh. so it was always fun once I got to know him from being in the Nico band to talk with him about music. And they, after a couple of years, he, they offered to do a record record with me on anti and I just thought I was being pranked I was like really and and he said my idea since you don't write songs that much is but you sing with all these people he's like let's call in some favors and have people write you songs and I was like you think they would do that (laughs) you know I'm always just I never have very much confidence, so he's like, yeah, let's start calling in favors, and people wrote songs for me or gave me songs for that album. And Not it, just it people. Not just yeah. people. Geniuses, like Magnetic yeah. Fields and Andrew Byrd. And, well, my friend Jack Pendarvis, who was in the van with us on the Kick Me tour, he, um, he wrote words— that didn't have music, and he said, Here's some words, and find somebody to set them to music. And that song actually was the last one because Andrew Bird wanted to give me a song, but he was really busy. And I kind of had to do a last call for alcohol kind of email. Like, we're going into the studio, yeah. you know, next month, if you, to a couple folks, like, if you have a song you want me to consider. And he said, Do you have any lyrics? And I was like, As a matter of fact, I do. So um, I sent the lyrics to uh, We Can't Have nice things, nice things, which Jack thought was going to sound like a George Jones song. And then Andrew Bird got it together. And it was like, when he finished with it, it was this weird, it's hard to even describe yeah. what kind of song that is. But it was really, really cool. They've still, to this day, never met. And that was their little song. Oh, that's so they, funny. They're married in music. But but yeah, some amazing folks. Catherine Irwin from Freakwater, who I adore, and The Handsome Family. Yeah. And, um,
0: Didn't Janet give you a song too?
1: No, uh uh-uh, uh. No, oh, okay. just, just Catherine Irwin. I'm trying to remember. We, well, we the, did a the... Charlie Rich cover. Uh huh. Um,
0: the uh, big one is... Robin Hitchcock. And, yeah, Hitchcock and...
1: John Wesley Harding and, or we- slash Wesley Stace.
0: And then Vic, Vic, Chestnut. Yeah,
1: Vic. That's that's the biggie. Yeah. So
0: wh- when did you get that song? Because he... It, did he pass in 2009? Yeah,
1: 2009. And we... It was it was probably around spring of that year, I guess, because yeah. I think anti start anti asked me to do the record maybe in spring of 2009, and it took I didn't end up recording it till two years later, so uh-huh. Mar- like April of 2011, and was collecting songs. But yeah, Vic sent me a song he 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 wrote it for me. So and it was like I started bawling. I was like, this is my life. Yeah, for it's like, real. Yeah, it's like he knew my weird slutty life (laughs) and i mean we knew each other a long time and i had covered a Vic song on a one of my solo records when i was in atlanta but yeah i've known him for a long time and yeah he's i was amazed
0: it's like it's like so those songs are they're all meant for for you to sing but that he just nailed it yeah for real
1: surprise i still i don't think i nailed it i don't think the performance on the record i would like to do over i just recently for the first time in a long time i got out of the blue, asked to open for Hosier at Metro and didn't have a band. Had to get the the awesome ladies from Ohm, the band Ohm from yeah, Chicago, great Seema Cunningham and Macy Stewart. And because they're young and crazy, they agreed to be my band. I really liked our version of the Vic Chestnut song yeah. that we did and their harmonies. So so I like that. That was really fun.
0: So was it was it Andy's idea too to put like the Band together the way yep. that you did, or was yep. that was, that was that, his
1: idea? And
0: he said, he, he said, take he said, whoever I, you I, want. Will,
1: and Andy Calkin is known for putting disparate, you know, elements together, like uh-huh. getting Betty LeVette out of retirement, putting drive-by truckers with Booker T. Like yeah. all the, he likes oh, to he see. Did that. Joe Henry with you know Solomon Burke or whatever. Yeah. So he likes to do that kind of thing, or you know, Mavis Staples with Jeff Tweedy. This is all Andy Calkin. Interesting. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't know that. He's a, he he's got these crazy crazy amazing. Amazing ideas. And um, so, yeah, he said, I have an idea about your record. We would talk on the phone all the time about how we were going to do it. He's like, I, I think you should do it in L.A. I was like, mm, okay. And then he said, I think you should do it with Booker T. I was like, who is this? <laughs> who's, who's who's on my phone? And then he said, and, and on drums, James Gadson." I was like, I think I... He was like, hello, hello. I think he right. thought we had, because just the night before I'd gone down the Gadsden rabbit hole, like watching footage of him with, with Playtime and Bill, with Bill Withers yeah. and all these other things. And I was like, I just thought I was being pranked all over again. So, and then he said for bass, I'm thinking Gabriel, you know, Roth from the Dap Kings. And, and you got any more ideas, well, Andy? Right. I know. Jesus. And then he's like, I'm not sure about guitar. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I was like, I have to bring somebody. If I'm going to walk into this studio, And make a record with Booker T. Uh James Cason and you know Gabriel Roth. That I got to bring somebody on my side, and I said I know just who I'm bringing in Scott Legan, who I'd started playing with here in Chicago, because Scott's a dang genius. He's not. I always say he's not even fit to deliver pizza because forget it. He just needs to play music. (laughs) But Uh and so and I just kind of was like, wait till Booker T. sees what Scott can do too. So. And we had, and I said, I want to also work with my old engineer from Chicago, who's now in LA, Ken Sluter. So those are mm-hmm. my two things. And so that was the deal. And Ken Sluter, when I told Ken about it, he's like, I have the place. And he had done some work. And um, I get confused as to what they call it. It's like East West. East it's, West, yeah. Yeah, so... 'Cause it's had a couple names over the years. It's and it's the small studio at East West, which is the studio where Pet Sounds was made, where mm-hmm. all the wrecking crew stuff like Mamas and Papas yeah. and Sonny and Cher and just any anything you would hear from that era was made in the studio and it, and it hadn't changed. Like it was unchanged. You mm-hmm. see old photos of it. I'm, I'm going to get chills. I always get chills I'm, talking yeah, I'm about get, it. I'm and then right they have now. a big studio that was redesigned and remade. And like, that's where Sinatra did all his stuff with orchestra. And that's where Elvis filmed his comeback special wow. and did all that stuff. And then there's a medium size where like the monkeys made all their stuff, Van Halen, ACDC, like this crazy uh-huh. other linoleum room, like look, you know, this nineteen sixties room. But the room we were in, yeah. I remember we went in the night before we were gonna start just to get just to see it and it smells heavenly. It smells like it's that sweet smell of tube amps. It was so amazing. Uh-huh. And I remember Scott was playing the piano and he just started playing God only knows on the piano, just kind of absent mindedly and he mm-hmm. said he said, How long is it is it is this piano been in here since the beginning? Or how long has this piano been in here? And the other engineer was like, I don't know, we'll find out for you. And I think later in that week, like Wednesday, somebody came in, one of the interns came in, and I saw him talking to Ken at the console, and then Ken got on the talkback. He's like, hey, Scott, that's the original piano it was put in here in 1957, because it's too big. Like, they put it in here, and then built the studio around it this oh big grand god. piano so scott started shaking it's like it's the pet sounds piano yeah uh, my legs just got all. so shit, we had been right. playing that it's the pet sounds piano that's it it's been in there the whole time this yeah. beautiful grand piano so scott was like, ah. like scott oh. was like scott get, get him some water get yeah. him some toast with jelly on it you know
0: so and we Booker were T's probably just like ah, what, I, I've another, seen just it another all. wednesday oh my god
1: well like it was just a, it was the most amazing week because we really, you know, I had ideas about arrangements, but, you know, you definitely... We came in, we we just did these basic demos with me and Scott on acoustic guitar and sent them to everybody, but you just came in and kind of built the record, and we had some ideas about arrangements, but you, you certainly want to hear what Booker T has to say, and yeah. James Gadsden's yeah, like, ideas. Just uh, the thought. Gabe Roth, so right. that was a crazy, magical
0: week. Because yeah. they, they, they've built their whole career just around, like, learning it and playing it, mm-hmm. and, yeah. I mean...
1: It was insane.
0: How how do you process something like this? Like this is all centered around songs that I'm going to sing.
1: It was. I still. It was like watching somebody else do it in a way, just like yeah. standing outside my body, watching myself do it. And on the way, I mean, there were so many weird things. Scott and I were sharing a hotel. And like a little hotel room thing. And it was like a five or 10 minute drive there every day in our rental car. And on the way there and back, we would we would listen to oldies radio because we're nerds, old square nerds. And we were listening to oldies radio and we would hear four songs that were made in the studio we were going to work in you know like we'd be i remember the first like day some mamas and papas song came on and scott was like hey this was recorded in at east west i was like yeah you're right and then we're driving and he three songs later and we're like whoa this one was too and then we started looking for it and so every day (laughs) on the way to and from the studio we would hear these songs and then I always still Yeah, and James
0: also played drums on the one that wasn't. Yeah, or you heard exactly,
1: or Booker Booker T yeah. So it was so weird and the the lunches were amazing. Like we'd order out for food and we'd go sit in the studio little dining area. And the lunches, just hearing like Booker T talk about, you know, Booker T would ask Scott these questions, like, So Scott, you know, when you're doing the ninth over the blah 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 and this blah 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 measure of the thing (laughs) Because Booker T is so classically trained, and yeah. he was a prodigy, and Scott would be like, "I don't know, just where my fingers go." Like Scott just Scott just feels it, has never read music in his life, and so Scott and Booker, because I saw Booker T when Scott started playing, he got like the Pepe Le Pew Hearts for Eyes, yeah, and they just were in love with each oh, other. Of course, all week so long, cool. it was really fun to see them their little love affair and then so and booker t would be talking about all these heady things and about making all these records with like willie not in a name droppy way at all because he's just talking about oh this song reminds me of one of this Mm -hmm. thing and maybe we should think about this and then and then james Gadson's over there you know talking to me he's like one time i had a monkey and then (laughs) that monkey used to throw rocks at my dogs and then one day when the dogs got big enough they took that monkey out he had it coming that monkey was an asshole so like we'd be having all these crazy and then he would talk about music too but it was like both ends of the table were like having it was i just tried to be quiet and keep my ears open and Uh listen to things that these people were talking about and then one day one day booker was like oh i saw it. can't call him mr t i would always call him mr jones Uh uh-huh and mr jones said something to me he's like you remind me of otis Otis Get was,
0: the fuck and, out. And,
1: and for a while, for a second, I was like, almost went, Otis who? Because he was, and then he said, well, Otis was always, he's like, you're always humming. You're always writing melodies to things. And then I was like, oh, he's talking about Otis Redding yeah. and me and the same thing. And Holy I guess, shit. I know. So it's just that weird thing after I'd gotten comfortable, you know, with these people for long, uh-huh. he's like, you remind me of Otis. You're right. always oh, singing. My- he was always, like, he would sing all day long because I don't realize it. I just walk around and be like, do 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. And harmonizing to the vacuum cleaner and stuff, so. Oh, and yeah. the EDM
0: upstairs. Yeah, right. yeah.
1: So <laughs> that week was, I still, like, when I talk about it, it's like it happened to somebody else or I saw a movie of it or something. It
0: feels just like a, like yeah. a giant surprise party.
1: It's so crazy. And w- I saw that movie, um... Uh, Love and Mercy, the Brian Wilson uh, biopic, with half of it's John Cusack and half of it's Brian Dano. And they filmed a lot of it. And, you know, when they're doing the Pet Sounds era, they filmed in that studio and mm-hmm. took great pains to make it, you know, they, I, was, I even, like, wrote to Ken, my engineer, I was like, wow, they took out all the modern stuff. And he's like, you have no idea. Because really, it wasn't a theremin on good vibrations. It's this other instrument called a blah, blah, blah. And they, they couldn't find one. So they had to uh-huh. build one. And so they really but it's cool to see I was watching it with Nora actually in our hotel on tour in Australia with Decembris, and we decided we watch uh-huh. it and it came to that scene I was like oh, Nora that's it that's the place I know what it smells like <laughs> I started talking about it. it was crazy to see it cuz it just yeah it happened to somebody else I had I, to I had to go sit down for a while yeah after
0: that oh my goodness mm-hmm. um I just I I I feel like the closest the closest that I can Get to that is seeing seeing Booker T with DBT's, uh They played here, but was probably like seven or eight right, years potato, ago. Right, the potato hole yeah, yeah, yeah. tour, potato and, hole, and Who's just just I love it. Freaking watching Patterson just the whole time, just ear to ear smile, like yeah. oh my god. And oh, it's yeah. like you grew up with this yeah. shit. Like your dad's the Booker T. Of it doesn't matter. That's yeah. what I
1: like. I like. I gravitate towards people like that, that just, you don't lose your sense of wonder and yeah. gratitude. And that's just, just my fellow nerds, you know, we're just like happy as pigs in slop. Really? This is happening? Really? Well, you, yeah. We ended yeah. up seeing that show in Atlanta. We were there with Nico and maybe we had a night off and went to see the uh-huh. potato hole Booker T drive by truckers tour. And I think I sang on angels and fuselage and just, yeah, the whole time we're just like, Unbelievable. And Booker T. Jones is one of the most beautiful people that yeah. you'll ever see in person. It's really hard to even look at him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just tell anybody, yeah. ladies and men, just uh-huh. wear your welder hood because that guy's face will
0: burn I've never, I've yeah. never stopped and, and taken the opportunity, but now I think I'm going to after you leave He's here. A beautiful man. I mean, you have to have, like, a, a tiny the tiniest bit of like you're you've done this sort of life where you're you're playing and, and helping people out all throughout as as the uh, as the voice of all of that, <laughs> I'm, Right, I'm, I'm one of them. Um, I get around.
1: I mean, I well, I love a challenge, you know, like yeah. you, like when you were saying I wasn't putting out solo records, I'd never felt hungry. Yeah, And I, I do like getting called to sing on a Silkworm record or, you know, do this, do that. And and, well, like, with, and like with Silkworm or Archer Pruitt, it usually it's like we're going to have have, you know, this one song and they'll send me the one song and then I'll do that. And they'll hey, while you're here, listen to this and see what you want to put on this. And yeah, that yeah. kind of happened with a couple bands. And I love that. I love that crazy challenge. It's really fun. How so, is
0: it uh how is it recording with Mavis? I hope people a couple? keep still
1: calling me. Call me up people. It's fun. Oh, I think um, that that'll always so. happen. and yeah, the Mavis thing was nutballs. I mean, when Nora O'Connor and I got that call that we were going to sing on that first Jeff Tweedy Mavis record, and usually when you're a backup singer, when you're going to come in and do your parts, you're the only ones there because it's like you're the gravy and the sprinkles, you're last. And so we we went to the Wilco loft just thinking we were going to you know put our backup parts on and i remember oh it was so cold like we had to somehow like put boiling water to get my my lock was frozen on my van to uh-huh. get there on time and we got there and then we were pulling into the parking lot and then this like you know car service car pulls in and we see mavis and yvonne get out and we're like Oh shit, what's happening? What's that? And then the band is like getting out of their little yeah. rental van. And we didn't know that we were, the record was starting that day. Like we were going oh, wow. from scratch, all singing in the same room all at the same time and so the other singer the great donnie gerard who sang with the band skylark i don't know if you know he was no i'm not familiar oh boy that phone his phone probably never stopped ringing that guy's a gorgeous guy and his voice is amazing he they had like a one hit um uh that what's that song uh uh, um what is it called while wildflower or you let her cry for she's a lady
0: okay sure uh-huh
1: dream she's a child you know and so he was in that band super smooth and uh so we was like hi here's donnie gerard hey i'm anora hey i'm hogan uh-huh. and then we're expected to sing these three-part Family harmonies after just meeting each other. And the first song we did, oh my God, didn't old Pharaoh get lost, get lost, yeah. get lost? And we just were, you know, you have to fall in. And the band is there, and Mavis is right there with her honey bear and her pickle in one hand. She likes a big dill pickle and then a honey bear. She'll like bite the pickle and the, vine- the vinegar kind of like, like, sweeps Uh your throat clean, and then the honey coats it. That's her recipe for greatness is a giant dill pickle and a honey bear. When you go to the Wilco Loft, they have a little – there's so many cool things to look at, but there's a bunch of little – things like in Lucite like it's a museum piece and it's like her honey bear that's like got an inch left in it with like Mavis on it and and masking tape and some other stuff you know George Saunders thing and Uh some stuff but yeah Mavis's first honey bear is in Lucite over there on top of a filing cabinet but um Yeah, so we're all there, and we threw down, and we ended up we did like two or three days, and came back and did a couple. Yeah, because they maybe that was before Christmas, because I remember I got Ernie during Christmas and when Uh I came back I said can I bring in my style I said can I bring my puppy with me and they were like yeah so and then we came in and Jeff Tweedy was like um producer holds the puppy I think that's common knowledge and I have a really funny picture of him holding Ernie so he would um hold Ernie while we tracked but yeah we did it and it was amazing. And then I got called back to do the other two 20 yeah. Mavis records. That's and then I ended up being kind of a pinch singer for Mavis when Vicky Randall couldn't do certain tours. Like I never got a rehearsal. I never Mavis don't come to sound check. Uh-huh. So I would just sort of fly in from another tour and be like, Donnie, I don't know the song, but you just I'll keep clapping. And by the second chorus, I'll know where I'm supposed to go. So, yeah. So trust me. So that's kind of how wow. I would get to play with them. But now they have a permanent lady. I don't know her name, but she kicks ass. So now their band is, yeah, know, cooking with gas. And I'm so happy because Mavis is, is the sun. Legend. the sun and the moon. and yeah. she's amazing. That's one of my, one of my highlights of my entire life is that I, that I can, say I sang with Mavis and that she calls me baby sister. Oh my god. So.
0: That's amazing. I yeah. mean, do, do you get sentimental? Do you? Oh, do you... I cry.
1: Yeah. I cry all the time. Yeah, all the time.
0: That's, I oh, mean, yeah. the, uh, just being able to like bounce between all of these, these different things. I mean, you should just uh, No, so, I feel, I, like uh, I said,
1: wonder wonder and gratefulness all the time, yeah. constantly. I, I try not to take anything for granted well especially when what i do it's i sometimes i say it's kind of like a when you're kind of free, free balling, freestyling, freelancing. Yeah. Free, freelancing should be called free balling. But you know, it's like it's like a trapeze where you let go and you just hope somebody grabs your feet. Right. And the next thing comes along, but sometimes you hit the net and you have to roll down and have a cup of coffee and climb back up. And you just never know. And then the worst is when there's like with the Nico situation where it's all happening at the same time. Yeah. And you have to make some decisions and like. Iron and wine, wanna you know, concurrent like things like this. It's hard. It's hard, but that's the nature of the biz too.
0: Yeah, for so sure. I'm just, well, I'm just I feel glad like people it, call me. Yeah. I think that the I think that uh they're they're all very, very happy when they do too. Oh, so <laughs> I try. It was great talking to you. Thanks for coming over.
1: Thanks for the coffee. Hence the hot air. Well, that's not true. It's just in there. <laughs> the coffee unlocked the door. And thanks for letting me bring my
0: dose. Of course. Oh, yeah, everybody but
1: got I am not a little girl
2: And I know What has to be
0: Alright, hey, unbelievable Hogan can call it hot air all she wants That was such a cool conversation be on the other side of the whole of that experience was truly something from these rock and roll stories to the time beforehand where it was just me and Jay and Hogan sitting in our living room talking about our dogs what an incredible warm human and a talent beyond measure a truly remarkable career hoping we continue to hear more down the line and i just have to say for someone to be so gracious with their time and their presence is just pretty uh it's pretty amazing to 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 be able to to have that so thank you to kelly check out kelly hogan online kelly hogan Com. Buy those records at bloodshotrecords.com. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, rate us, rate a review, tell a friend. The website is betteryetpod.com. Email Betty at gmail.com. Support the show on Patreon. Patreon.com slash podcast. All of God's money, our tribute to Wilco's Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, is available on our band camp, Better Yet Podcast. Bandcamp.com, and thank you so much. Thank you Chloe and Lily. Thanks to Hogan, Ernie, and Eddie. We got an airplane ride for lunch tomorrow. A couple wild weeks ahead. We'll talk when I get back. Thanks folks.
2: me in the kitchen with cheese toast and espresso blend I'd be more warm and content in bed spooning with my friend this seems familiar same time oh and same channel again I've left the arms and warmth for the company of my pen Than the time before This time I think I'm okay For a change It's not deprivation that has got me open and awake Though I know I'm no good And happy is not my forte. But I haven't felt like this In so long I'd like to think But I hate to say Songs are only good after love's is strain In the morning he might leave for good without a goodbye And when heartache rears her ugly head Well I'll look her in the eye and I'll kiss her on the mouth You oh, know I'll hold my head up high as her outweighed pain This time and umbrella She did not pass me by Anyway.